a coincidence is defined as a remarkable occurrence of events or circumstances without an apparent connection. Many details surrounding this case could be called coincidental, but I ask you, at what point do we separate coincidence from common sense? What we know so far is that young children were being abused, tortured, molested, and raped while attending their high school in Baltimore. We learned as abuse accusations came forward, the church would move Father Maskell to a new facility. When victims told one of their most trusted teachers, Sister Kathy, about the abuse, she suddenly is removed from Keogh and starts teaching at a public school. Within a few months, Kathy is murdered, and it happens to be a day after a student says Father Maskell and Father Magnus rushed into Kathy's apartment. The abuse stays hidden for another 25 years. In an earlier episode, Sharon Smith spoke to us in more detail about her Uncle Billy, who lived in the apartment across from Sister Kathy. Many survivors have told us that they didn't believe Father Maskell would have done his own dirty work, but believe that he had something to do with Kathy's murder. Our first thought is to look at who could have had an opportunity to take Kathy from outside her apartment. Sharon's Uncle Billy happens to live in the apartment complex, granting him access to always being able to know when Kathy enters or leaves. He could easily be seen as someone who wouldn't bring attention to himself for lingering around the place while waiting for Kathy to return home from shopping. And conveniently, her car is later dropped just around the corner of his patio door. Sharon joins us again to talk more about Uncle Billy. I'm going to leave it up to you to decide what is more than just a coincidence. The other thing that made me want to do another conversation with you guys is I listened to Bob. He said one thing in there that triggered me to want to talk again is he was like, I don't understand why her car wasn't processed more thoroughly. Remember, he said something like that. And I I know the reason why. I don't know. Do you know the reason why? Have we ever talked about that before? I don't. I guess I assumed it was. Right. It's not processed as a homicide. It was processed as a missing person. So as soon as her car was found, it was given back to Sister Russell because she was the co-owner on the car. Sharon's exactly correct. The officers in charge mentioned that they didn't treat it as a homicide for a long time. By the time they found her body, her car was given back to Sister Russell that night. That's what made me want to talk again because... Yeah, may I ask how you know that? I know that from my interview with Baltimore County. With the cold case detectives? Yes. And they told you that the car was given back to Russell that night? Yes, as soon as they found it. Really? Yeah, because she was the co-owner on the car. And another thing you have to remember is they didn't process for DNA and things like they do today. I think they they did bare bones minimum. Now, what all did they do? I don't know. I just know that I was told that it wasn't processed as a homicide. It wasn't even treated. So those pictures, like with the grass over the turn signal and what else the box of buns and the trash that was pushed over they would have just left all that and given the car back to russell 
I don't know that. I don't know. But I do know that it was given back to her right away because she was the owner and owner. So anyway, when he said that during his interview, that's what made me want to have a second conversation because people do have a lot of unanswered questions. And some of this information I know, and some of the information I think I am allowed to speak about because I think it is it can be common knowledge. Before we dive too deep into that, Sharon, I know that just from us going back and forth in a conversation, weren't you wanting to talk about how you first met? I wanted to describe that because it feels significant to me. And Gemma was there and it was the first time I'd ever met Gemma. And Gemma actually said, gosh, I wish we were filming today because what happened. So I made a connection with Gemma and made arrangements to meet her. And I we decided we were going to meet on Monumental Avenue in front of my mm-hmm. grandmother's house. And that's what we did. I asked Gemma to show me where was it that she was found. And so we rode down the road. What would you say? Maybe maybe a quarter of a mile, maybe not even that far. Mm, not even that much. And we got out and Gemma pointed to this tree and she said the officer that we rode around with, which at the time I didn't know who it was, but found out later who that officer was. He said she was found right there, and Gemma pointed to this tree. And I remember myself taking maybe five or six steps toward that tree, and I raised my left hand, and I said, no, she was that way. And you go, okay, let's go that way. And then we got in the car, and we drove down one driveway when we went into the gravel company and explained to the gentleman who we were and why we were there. Mm -hmm. He told us when he bought the property, 80-something, 1980-something. He goes, I was told she was found right there. And he points to this big rock. I walked over, stood on this mm-hmm. big rock. And then and I looked at your shop. First, I looked down and I go, oh, my God, are there railroad tracks down there? And I started mm-hmm. coming back with all these childhood memories were flooding back to me. And do you remember I asked him, the owner of the property, was there a big white building here? And he goes, it's the house that's here. It's, it's different now. Mm-hmm. And I started asking him, was this a big hill? And he goes, what was, it was a landfill. So I had it dozed down. And then I said to him, oh my gosh, what is the, what is this building I'm looking at? And that was the back of my grandfather's shop. It, my whole point in wanting to share that story was, I didn't know you, you didn't know me. You showed me where mm-hmm. you thought she was found, which actually it ends up not being the place, but that's where you thought it was at that time. And then I pointed. Right. I don't know why I pointed to the left. She was that Mm -hmm. way. I don't know Mm -hmm. why I did that. Much later, more than a year later, Detective Childs and Robin, they showed me where she was found because I'd never seen it before. Right. Really knew before. And it definitely was the way that I pointed. And I still don't know why I pointed that way. Can you tell us about that day that they went with you? I know it wasn't too long ago. Um, It actually, I think in December, it'll be a year. I had asked them to show me and he did. He showed me where it was and there's a house. There's one house in between my grandmother's house and where she was found. It's quite a bit of property, but there's one house standing there with both the detectives and it was just a chilling type of feeling. And Detective Childs, actually, at the time he stood there and he said, I'm just telling you, this is just not coincidental. There's just, there's no coincidence about this. This is just not coincidental. And Mm -hmm. we were just talking about where she lived was two exits down the beltway and, you know, how you'd have to drive back into that area and how it would just not be coincidental that 
someone mm-hmm. would take her there. You had to know the mm-hmm. area. I had always grown up, I think I've told you this a million times, hearing that she was found behind my grandmother's house. That's what I grew up hearing. And it's not directly behind my grandmother's house because there is another house between them, but it's definitely behind the shop, between the shop and the house. Yeah, you know, it's very close to just, the house. You've talked to him recently, correct? Yeah. Okay, is there anything you can share? I, I did ask him if I could share something that he told me, and he, he said that I can. And so when I went in to talk to him and Robin right after the series aired, and we talked through the whole thing, and he told me that he's been doing this for a long time. To him, this crime has all of the hallmarks of a crime of passion. And he also said about my brother, he said, I've been doing this for more than 40 years. I guess it was at the time. And he said, even though your brother's story doesn't completely fit because of the timeline he puts around it, he said, I'm here to tell you the child that I heard speaking through that grown man saw something, knows something, Mm -hmm. not, he said, you will never convince me that he says, I think because he was young, maybe he has the time of day confused because that Mm -hmm. doesn't fit. He goes, but that does not cause me to not believe his story. He said, Mm -hmm. I've worked with trauma victims a lot. And that child that was speaking through the man was speaking through trauma. Sharon, let me ask you what you think about this. And this kind of connects with what you just talked to us about the location of Kathy's body. After things settled down at the carriage house, it's possible that Billy may have had a key to the nun's apartment or knew how to break in. And if they were told by someone to move her body It's possible that Brian's story does fit and that perhaps they were taking a blanket, which would not be missed, but would have the DNA of the nuns and not them from their apartment. They may have been moving her from one place to another after Jean saw her, because I think Maskell could have been concerned that Jean might be able to bring someone back there. I don't know. To me, that makes Brian's story fit, that it could have been in the morning men, Billy and or Skippy and or Edgar or whoever they were with were actually moving her rather than taking a body out of that apartment because we know that didn't happen. I don't know. It's just an idea. Hey, Sharon, can you explain what your brother says happened? I can only explain it the way he does on on the tape that we all heard. Like I said, I never really had a conversation with him about it. I didn't know he was possessing all of that information. But my brother explains that he was at my uncle's. And I can only assume maybe my uncle was watching him. I don't know. I've run that story past my mother a million times because that kind of doesn't make sense to me. That why would my brother have been there, but I wasn't if my uncle was babysitting. And my mother said, well, you were old enough to be in school. Your brother Mm -hmm. wasn't. So that's how my mother makes sense of it. And then my brother just tells the story that my uncle disappears for a while. And then my brother goes across the hall to find him. Mm -hmm. He talks about them taking a blanket or a rug or whatever he says. And I will say they don't give the whole 
tape of my brother on the series. My brother's tape is much longer than that. And my brother mm-hmm. describes the color of the blanket. He describes mm-hmm. the car they were in, the color of the car. He talks about a white Cadillac. And I, when I listened to my brother's tape, I called my mom and I'm like, did anybody have a white Cadillac? And she told me that they did. My, my grandfather had a white Cadillac. So hmm. these are things that I never even knew. So yeah. how old would Brian have been? When I he... think he was four, only four when this happened. Okay. I keep hearing over and over again that when someone is very traumatized, you can be very young and remember it mm-hmm. because it's a significant event. When you hear my brother speaking in The Keepers, that is just a snippet of my brother's interview. My brother looks a whole lot more than that. The detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask... Did you kill Renee? As we deep dive into these chilling tales, we all need a moment of escape, a way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where Recess Mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens, Recess Mood is your guilt-free retreat. With just 20 calories, no added sugar, it's not just a sparkling water, it's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of Foul Play with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon, letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown with Foul Play. And for the devoted Foul Play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com shane to get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. So you and your mom, do you guys believe what he said? I do believe him. I can tell you that the way my brother sounded He didn't sound to me like he was lying. He had some conviction with what he was saying, and I don't think he was making it up. I think he was speaking about the way he remembered something. And my mother, when I asked my mother about it, when did she know about this? And she told me that my brother started talking to her about this when he was a teenager. And that would make sense because that was after my uncle died, my Uncle Bill. He really was afraid, like he says. He wouldn't have said anything until my uncle was gone. And that's what my mother said. He started talking to her about it once he was a teenager. When did Billy pass away? Oh, my goodness. Gemma, do you know the date? I'm sorry, Sharon, I don't. 
I want to say I was 22, 21, something like that. It was a long period after yeah. oh, yeah. this period. Oh, yeah. It wasn't immediate. Do you remember the time frame that Billy lived or moved into the carriage house apartments compared to when Kathy and Russell? I just kind of always knew him living there. I always knew him living there until he moved to the house that he ended up dying in. Gemma, do you happen to know if Billy was there first or if Kathy and Russell was? Billy was there first. The nuns moved in July of 1969. Like They took over that lease at that time. And for most of the summer, both Kathy and Russell were either visiting with family or doing conferences and classes. I know that Russell had family in Towson, and she was with them for a while. I know Kathy went. I believe that Kathy and Russ both lived with Russell's family in Towson or Timonium up until they took over the lease of that apartment. In fact, I know that because something was addressed to Kathy at Russell's uncle's apartment, okay, in Towson or home in Towson. They really together only lived there from July until that first week in November when Kathy disappeared. And then right after that, Russell stayed with her family for a while and then came back to the apartment. And a friend of theirs who went to the convent with them, Pat Gilner, she was also in the Keepers. She was the real beautiful woman with the white hair that talked about Russell saying that Maskell took his secret to the grave. She's a, a former nun. She said that she moved into the apartment, into the carriage house apartment with Russ. She had Kathy's room. And she said it was very strange and frightening to be sleeping in Kathy's bed. And Russell would be away with her family. And Pat said she had a real hard time with it. And one night she called, she heard somebody outside. She called the police and the police took her to a friend's house because she was just scared. She didn't know if one of them would be next because Kathy obviously had been targeted. But she did also say that Russell really wouldn't talk about it. It was hard to tell that anything had happened. She just shoved it inside and had a difficult time dealing with it. I believe they stayed there for maybe six months and then moved into another apartment in the same complex, but in another building. Gemma, what kind of interactions are we aware of between Billy and Kathy? Oh, Sharon can answer that. My mom always described to me that she met Sister Kathy as we were going in, as she was going into my Uncle Bill's or coming out, and they passed in the hallway and my Uncle Bill was them. And then not too long ago, my Gemma and my Aunt Barbara and I, we had a conversation and my Aunt Barbara described the same thing, that she met Sister Kathy coming or going in the hallway and my uncle introduced them. That's all I know of, other than I've heard stories about parties and things like that in the building, but that's the only firsthand account that I have of interaction. And I don't know anything other than what Sharon's told, told us, Shane, so I'm not aware of any other interactions, but I do remember Sharon saying, I guess it was your mom that said 
he introduced her as Sister Catherine, my neighbor. He called yes. her Sister Catherine. Yeah, yes. so it wasn't like, yeah, this is like party girl in the building, Kathy. I don't mean to be facetious. But it would also be out of context according to when that interaction was. For example, if your mom and or aunt saw Kathy around the time when she first moved in, of course he wouldn't be knowing her by anything else than Sister Kathy. Shane, also the faculty at Western High School, which is where Kathy was teaching the day she disappeared. A lot of people are confused about that because in the film, it talks about, Abby talks about what time Kathy got home from school. Well, she wasn't getting home from Keogh. She was coming home from Western. And our friend, Juliana Bertaldi, who spoke to Kathy that afternoon, went to Western. And in the film, it shows Juliana in a uniform. And I don't know if Western wore uniforms, but it could be that people think that's Keogh. And they did not know she was a nun at that school. She was just wearing regular clothes. And I believe Jerry Coob's sister gave her a lot of nice clothes because they were either the same size or the sister had grown out of those clothes. I don't know. But she was just wearing regular clothes to school and nobody knew she was a nun over there. And my mom has made a remark that when she met her, she was wearing regular clothes as well. If they moved in July... And Billy was already there. Now, Corporal Robin Teal did share with me that when the people in the building were interviewed after Kathy disappeared, the rest of the residents in, in the building, that Billy's apartment was leased to William, Charles William, and Virginia Schmidt. Because we were, like, looking for just... Billy Schmidt or Skippy's last name, and we're having trouble finding out who lived in each of those apartments. But apparently, right. when officers spoke to them, they were not able to give them any new information. Also, did tell me, and I don't think this is a secret, uh, it's out now. Robin also told me that the police had been there months before on a different, for a different reason. She said it was like insignificant. I don't, I don't know. know what it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. So Skippy was your uncle's, what we believe could have been his boyfriend at the time. Is that right? right. And I never knew this, or my mom never knew this until we got into the investigation into the keepers. And my Aunt Barbara told my mother that Skippy actually lived in the apartment with my Uncle Bill, which my mother was never aware of. Mm-hmm. My mother never knew he lived there, but my Aunt Barbara mm-hmm. says that he did. And we also did not think that my Uncle Bill was married to my Aunt Jenny when all this happened. That's confusing to us as well, part that was leased. And like gay people living in an apartment, that probably wouldn't have gone over real well in 1960s. Right. It may have been more convenient and safer for everybody just to put William in Virginia. Did you guys ever find out who Skippy was? No, not able to find out. It's very elusive. We have 10 people. now. Not too long ago, a young woman got in touch with me and said she believed she knew who he was. It fit everything that we've thought, except that Sharon's family was under the impression that he came from California. And this young woman said, I believe it's my relative, and he went to California. 
she sent a picture of this guy. It was actually a drawing, and we didn't know who drew it, but Sharon's family has shared, as Sharon's mom, Barbara, said that Skippy did pencil drawings and mm-hmm. was very good with portraits. And so we're thinking maybe he drew one of himself, but as soon as Sharon's mom looked at it, she said, no, that's not him. Yeah. Because it she didn't, it, did yeah, it didn't fit the description that Barbara Schmidt had of Skippy. But right. we've had 20 suggestions of who Skippy might be, and we still don't know. Mm-hmm. When did Skippy and Billy go their separate ways? I don't know that I know that answer. My mother would probably know that answer. And we maybe have asked her that already, Gemma. That might be somewhere in the notes. Yeah. I might have. Mom says he just disappeared. He just all of a sudden he was gone. But it was definitely after Sister Sister Kathy was murdered. I don't know either without talking to my mother. Mm -hmm. Just don't know. Earlier, Gemma mentioned that Teal was talking about the police coming to the apartment prior to Kathy disappearing. So maybe they got into an argument, and that's what maybe. led to them breaking up. Or it, you know, maybe it could have been. But then again, it could have been something real insignificant. Maybe music too loud, sure. or if they were a party, if they did have the neighbors in, and it got noisy, somebody always calls the cops and tells right. you to turn them. There's no right. arrest. It's just, but she didn't specify what that was about. Sharon is my memory correct that at some time Billy or maybe your uncle Bob went to the Virgin Islands? My uncle Bill went. Do you remember when? It's kind of that's interesting because somebody came up with a ship's registry. Have you ever seen that? I've seen them, but like in Ancestry.com. No, somebody came up with a ship's registry for the U.S. Virgin Islands and it's handwritten and it shows my uncle's name and it shows him traveling with someone by the name of Barbara Schmidt and neither my mother or my aunt Barbara went to the Virgin Islands with him huh and it's the year I think the year could be correct so I don't know if he took someone else and they used the pseudo name I don't know but I think it was the early 60s when he went to the Virgin Islands so it would have been before they went to carriage house Yes. Yes. Oh, if anybody's listening and can find the registry for us, I'd love to have a picture of that. What was Billy, Bobby, and your dad's career? I think my Uncle Bill was, I guess, like a bookkeeper. And I think my Uncle Bob was an accountant. And my father worked with plastic low molding machines was the way he described it. So where did they work at? I believe my Uncle Bill worked for a company, Continental Truck. I remember that. But none of them worked at the the truck parts at the place. At the shop with my grandfather? Yeah. Uh My father did. Okay. I don't know why I thought that they all did. No. My father worked there in the evenings with my grandfather. Okay. Like, you mean your dad had a couple jobs? Oh, yeah. He would work there late at night with my grandfather. What led your dad to be questioned by the detectives? When it came on the news in the 90s, when I guess that's when Gene came forward or when Mm -hmm. when the case was reopened again. And I just was so upset about it. And I didn't know why I was upset. I asked my mother to call the police. My mother did. And she called the police and shared what she knew and what we had to offer. And 
That's when they went to Florida and spoke to my father. Why was your dad in Florida? Oh, my family moved to Florida in 1979. Your whole family, you included? Yep. Okay. Were you there when the police visited your dad? No. No. No? Okay. I was not. And my parents were already divorced, and my father was actually remarried by then. Mm -hmm. Wife was there when he was questioned. You remember what city? That might have been Homestead, Florida, then. Okay. And you were there for a little while? Oh, we moved, they moved to Miami. When my parents first moved, they moved to Miami. Okay. My, when my mother and father got divorced, I guess my father, that's when he ended up in Homestead. And then eventually my mother and my brother moved to Tampa. And my father moved to Vero Beach. And what years would that have been approximately? They moved there in 79. The reason I'm asking is because we know that Edgar Davidson went to Florida as well and changed his name and then married someone else under the assumed name. I can't, gosh, he was under the name of John. I'm drawing a blank on the last name. Where's Abby when I need her? Anyway, so he married the second wife while he was still married to the first. Oh, well. It appears that he, quote, borrowed someone else's cards and identity and Mm. became somebody else. So I'm wondering if it was around the same time that Billy would have been in Florida. Because we have not been able to make a definite connection between Edgar and Billy. My Uncle Bill came down for a little while and worked with my father, maybe Mm -hmm. for six months or so. What can you tell us about your Uncle Bob? A lot of people have asked about it. People ask about my Uncle Bob because my brother puts my Uncle Bob in the story. When I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, because that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. I think it might be my father and my brother inserted my Uncle Bob. That's what I think might have happened. I never really thought of my Uncle Bob being involved in this or I just never got that indication. He made that insertion of my Uncle Bob, and I believe it might have been my father, and maybe it's right. too painful for my brother to remember it that way. Uh-huh. Do you remember Bob very well? Oh, I do. He passed away when I was probably 18 or 19, okay. and he was the what oldest kind of, of the three. Oh, what kind of person was he? Um, He was a quiet person. Mm-hmm. I would call him an introvert, stayed mm-hmm. home most of the time. A lot of people asked why Bobby's photo was blurred in the Keeper's. My Uncle Bob's picture wasn't in the Keepers, to my recollection. I wonder if maybe they just didn't have a photo of him. Yeah. When they created that. There was a lot of chatter in the beginning about that picture where my Uncle Bill is holding a baby. And people Mm -hmm. were saying that was my Uncle Bill's baby and my Uncle Bill's wife. And that wasn't the baby in that picture is actually me. That was on my christening day. Mm -hmm. My Uncle Bill holding me and my Aunt Mildred, who is my godmother. They were my godparents. Sharon wanted to jump in real quick and ask you if you ever had heard of a guy named Bobby Thompson. I have not. No. And okay. I've been asked that before. And I, okay. I passed that. I also asked my mother and she doesn't recognize that name. Okay. He was friends with Edgar. He was neighbors with Edgar. Mm-hmm. And when they lived in Irvington in adjoining apartments, and he also committed suicide a couple weeks after Grace Montagna's murder. And that's never been solved either. Some people think his death was a homicide. Mm. So we don't know. Just Mm. wondering if you heard the name. No. One of the most things that I hear from when people talk about the keepers 
is, of course, when it comes to Billy, the mannequin in the attic, the nun's costume. What house was that mannequin in? That's the house that my Uncle Bill moved into with my Aunt Virginia. They bought a house together after the carriage house. Okay, so it was definitely after the... Oh, yes. Okay. So what, it wasn't your grandmother's house on metal? No, it was okay. my Uncle Bill's house. Okay. Did your mom recognize Edgar at all? No, she doesn't. She did not. I have strong feelings about my uncle and my gra- my grandmother's murder as well. I have a feeling about that because when we were in the funeral home, he came in and he said to my mother, and I was standing there, I think I was, I don't know, maybe 14 at the time. And he told my mother that he had visited a psychic with my grandmother, which would be his mother. They had visited a psychic that day, and she told them that somebody in our family committed the murder, somebody tall and thin with a mustache. And that's his description. And I just remember hearing that and how chilling that was. And We had spoken about this with you before, but we didn't touch on it when we did the episode. So I wanted to talk to you about the mysterious house fire. I had not ever heard anything about it ever my entire life until we were in the midst of the documentary. And all of a sudden, Alan makes me aware that in my family and someone he spoke to in my family, my Aunt Barbara told him about my uncle and three other men going on vacation together to Atlantic City, uh, Ocean City, New Jersey. During the vacation, there was a house fire and one of the men died. And I had never heard anything about that ever. I don't know the year that it happened, and I'm not sure that any of us really know the year that it happened. After I heard that story, then, you know, I called my Aunt Barbara to talk to her about that. And she told me that the gentleman was from Baltimore. He was brought back to Baltimore for his burial. He burned to death in the bathroom, wrapped in towels. And so I said to her, that seems strange to me. There's four adults in a house and three get out and one has to wrap himself in towels in the bathroom. How could they not get him out of the house? She didn't really have an explanation. She said, but did seem to be kind of mysterious and questionable. That's really all I know about it. That's all I know. Yeah, unfortunately, we've not been able to dig up information yet. We have searched everywhere. We've had people go there and visit the fire department, go to the library, go to the archives. We have been through every newspaper we can find, and we've looked in the 60s and the 70s, and we can't find anything. And I guess it would have been probably more likely in the 70s because of the ages of the guys. I believe it happened. We just can't figure out why we can't find any documentation of it. When I talked to your Aunt Barbara, I remember she said, maybe it wasn't Ocean City, New Jersey. Yeah, maybe Maybe it was someplace else in New Jersey. Yeah, so then we extended looking for other coastal towns up and down New Jersey, but there's so many of them. So nothing yet, but listener, there's a job for you. We need you to (laughs) keep looking for the fire. There was a funeral, though, right, that your family remembers? Yes, my Aunt Barbara told me that she remembers my Uncle Bill was a pallbearer. And that my grandmother went to the funeral, and my, I believe my Aunt Barbara said she went to the funeral as well. Did she say that, Gemma? I'm not sure, but 
when we started asking, did she, because we know that it was a Jewish funeral, and she said she really didn't know what synagogue, right. but he definitely was brought back to Baltimore. So if somebody wants to track him down the history of funerals at synagogues in Baltimore, have at it. And I remember her saying that my grandmother attended the funeral so that she could be with my Uncle Bill because he was grieving so badly of him. How odd is it when you go to think about it, like all these people, all these events happen around Billy. I'm also surprised earlier we were talking about when your dad was questioned by police. I'm really I was really surprised that the detectives didn't question your dad and your grandfather because Kathy was found near their business. I don't think that the police made the connection at that time. The only reason they actually talked to your father was because you told your mom that you were upset, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they wouldn't have necessarily talked to the other uncles, okay? And the property that she was found on, thats that was private property, right? It was a business? Private property now, and they're not loving that hundreds of people are driving slowly by to brought the tree that's got the uh, sign on it that Jean and her family placed. And that property is owned by the house, the people in the house that separates Sharon's grandmother's old house from that property. And those people, I've talked to them, and they gave us permission to walk on the property and film. And then once the keepers was released, I went back with the filmmakers And they came out right away and asked us to leave. And then when they recognized who we were, they said it would be okay, but just for a couple of minutes. So I can't blame them. It says there's no trespassing signs all over the place there now. It was two hunters that found her, right? Yes. I wonder why they were on private property hunting. At that time, it was not private property. The landfill was turned over like literally turned over when it gets filled, okay? And that raised up the level of the property a little bit. There are two pieces of property that it covered, and there were two houses on one of the flats, and those were old houses. One of them was the one that the hunters went to make a phone call, and those were also bulldozed at that time because they were very old houses. The house that's there now I don't think it was there 50 years ago. So it would have been more wooded area. And yes, we have heard that people would shoot small game over there. But I thought it was very interesting. And we just found this out recently that those two hunters who were in the paper were actually from Middle River. They were not from Lansdowne. One of their names is George Eugene Brown. The son is Carl Michael Berkheimer. We've tracked down Brown and have some information about him, but I would really like to be able to find the son and talk to him because I think it's very interesting that Middle River is where Maskell had his boat and Scannell was the one that seen the day that Kathy was found. That's not typical. The captains rotated Saturdays. They did not always work on Saturdays. So that would have been his one Saturday, probably out of every two or three months to even be working. Read between the lines. I think that would be allowed to say this. When I spoke to the police after the documentary, they had neighbors 
described that the night that Sister Kathy disappeared, they they didn't say for sure that it was her, but they described her car and they saw a female in the passenger side and a male driving her car away mm-hmm. out of the neighborhood. And I don't know, are you aware of that already? I've heard that somebody, it may be the same person, actually saw the car heading down North Bend towards mm-hmm. Frederick Road. And it appeared that a woman was trying to get out on the mm-hmm. passenger side of the car as it was driving down the hill and that the male pulled her back in. Would have guessed that anyway, even if somebody mm-hmm. hadn't seen that because mm-hmm. of the way the little trash bucket, which sits on the hump. Some people don't know what I'm talking about, but there used to be a little plastic trash bucket that sits on the hump. It was mm-hmm. dumped over to the passenger side. The buns, the Muley's box of bakery buns, was also on the floor on the passenger side, and it was not crushed. It, is, it could have been there all the time. It could have fallen off the seat. But my feeling was that whoever abducted Kathy got in on the driver's side and pushed her over to the passenger side. And if that door was unlocked or she unlocked it, it is possible she was trying to get out. But I never thought that it was just one person in the car with her anyway. I think it would be at least two because I know Jerry Coob has said if Kathy was threatened, she would freeze. But that's not the Kathy I knew. If Kathy, something was wrong, she would have, I believe she would have fought. I think she was too intelligent and too, just too much in the moment to freeze. I can see her kicking or pushing somebody trying to get out. And if there was somebody else in the car with her, it's possible they could have put their hands around her neck. We know that she was strangled. We don't know when that happened. It's possible. And please don't quote me, listeners, because you know that's speculation. It's possible somebody could have strangled her then just to knock her out. But I do not think one man in the driver's seat and her trying to get out on the passenger side, I don't think that would have restrained her. I think she would have been successful unless there was somebody else in the car. If it was only one person, then surely the guy had a gun. Otherwise... I don't know how you would prevent her from leaving. What's also interesting is she wasn't shot. So if he had a gun, wouldn't that be the simplest way to kill her? Just to shoot her? And that wasn't the way that she was killed. So that would lead me to believe that there was more than one person involved. The front seat was actually broken. The passenger seat was broken. 